<laughs> that COVID year, you had people rushing out. I think that they went to Walmart and saw empty shelves and no meat. And people who had not hunted for 20 years or had never hunted before in their life suddenly had an yes, interest in hunting because just about every serious hunter that they knew had a freezer full of meat. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris. And today we are on here graced uh, with the presence of Henry Ferguson the mule deer killing extraordinaire and the uh uh president what what is what is our the chairman of the colorado bow hunters association board and uh recently henry conned me on to into uh getting involved with that board and yeah i say he conned me he 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 put the twist, gu- twisted his rubber arm. He put the guilt on me. He's <laughs> like, uh, hey, Ferris, uh, are, uh, do you have any plans of ever getting involved and in trying to do anything positive for bow hunting in this state? Or do you just want to go and fulfill your own dreams and passions and not do anything for anyone else? And I was like, OK. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Henry, how are you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm good. And I, and I believe, I believe the exact words were Danny in the world, there are consumers and there are producers. Come be a producer with us, Danny. There's <laughs> 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 something like that. It was, it was something like that. No, but we're, you know, today we're going to talk about a couple of things that are near and dear to Henry's heart. Um, and one of them is mule deer hunting. And the other one is the importance of, uh, of, getting involved with your state bow hunting organization. And it's something that I agree with him wholeheartedly on. Um, But first we're going to talk mule deer just a little bit. And Evan has lots of questions for you regarding mule deer. Most of them have to do with GPS coordinates and things like that. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Let me me set all of mine to 16th street mall and all all (laughs) that. There's a, there's a, a big, a big population down there, big bucks only. So yeah, you'll like it down there. Yeah. I'm sitting on like five points in Colorado. So we need to have that conversation anyway. You're getting real close to something pretty special actually. Yeah. yeah I've been, I've been hanging on to them. So we gotta, we gotta have, and we can take, we can take that offline. They don't need well, to know about, they don't need <laughs> to know about my plans. If, if you go seek out Henry's, um instagram page his his uh his handle on there is big chief whackabuck <laughs> which i love by the way but you go you start scrolling down through here and you see that henry is a mule deer fanatic and uh not only is he a mule deer fanatic he's pretty doggone successful at it mm-hmm. um and i i always tease with him in jest because uh i i don't like being shown up but henry it's hard not to be shown up by Henry. Um, you've, uh, what did you bring to the Bowhunters Association banquet this year? So I, I brought two bucks this year. Um, we were, we wanted to make sure we had plenty for the trophy display, which is, as it turns out, we had, we had an awesome trophy display. Um, I brought my buck from this last year, which was a a nice four by six, kind of a upper one seventies kind of buck. Um, and then I brought one that I shot in 2013, which is my best buck. 
And I've been trying to top that for years. And he was a 191 inch typical. And that, that's that velvet buck, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was, oh. he's a big one. And I've been trying to top that for years. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of one of those things. I mean, being a one trick pony, um, you, you kind of have to, you, you focus up pretty hard on, uh, making sure you find the best buck in the unit. And that's what, that's, that's what I spend all summer doing is just hiking and glassing and looking for that best buck and just trying to find, just trying to find that opportunity. Right. Right. Well, um, I know what it's like to try and topple your best buck and to have that dream of doing so. I killed my biggest one in 2010 and I, I would say it's safe to bet that that's going to be my biggest one when I die. You know, <laughs> you, Evan, what are you shaking yeah. your head at? If you start small, you always got room to grow. <laughs> 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 well, I, man, the kind that Henry takes, I'd, I'd take them every single year. Every year. Every well, single I year. I had a little conversation with a guy named Lane Ferris at the end of the, at the end of the bow hunters banquet, which you're talking about. Oh God. What did he tell you? Well, I asked him how big uh, he was talking about two bucks that you and he had killed a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I remember thinking, man, that is a big freaking deer. Yeah. And when I asked him, I said, what'd that buck score? He goes, ah, he was, he was one ninety. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, <laughs> Lane's, yeah, he's 190 no big deal i mean you know there's 190 bucks out there everywhere they grow on trees lane he's he is talking gross by the way he was talking care. gross. Yeah, that's a fish. i don't care yeah yeah it, it, i mean that was that was the best that was the best year that the ferris family will probably ever have and i don't know if you remember my buck from that year henry but he's, i do he is really He's one of the tr- strangest deer ever. Um, I grossly skyscraper. Yeah. I grossly underestimated that deer. Like the first time that we saw him, Lane was the one that spotted him, and he was down a hill from us. And I think that Lane Lane got a different look at him, like a side profile of him. And by the time I saw him, he was facing us. And this deer's only he's he's twenty four. No, oh, he's way narrower than that. Oh, is he tighter than that? Oh, he's like 18. Oh, he is awesome. He is narrow, (laughs) narrow, narrow. Um, And the way that his. He's not uh, even past his skull. The way that his G4s come (laughs) off of the um, off of the main beam, they come off kind of like this, not like this, but like that. So that they look crabby when he's looking right at you. But those fours are, you know, they're, I don't know, a foot long. And that's awesome. You don't realize it when you first look at him. So when I first saw him, I'm looking down at him and he's like inside of his ears. And I was like, what are you, uh, what are you so excited about lane? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and he says, dad, that is a better buck than you think it is. And I was like, okay, well, you know, let's keep going and we'll look for another one. And, and so anyway, long story short, I saw him like two days later and I saw a side profile of him. And I was like, whoa, I mean, the back forks <laughs> were, were really, really deep. And it ended up after I got him killed, he's got a, he's got a 21 inch G2. Oh, and, that's amazing. And the other one is like, 
right at 20 and seven eighths or something like that. I mean, just wow, sticking up there like that, you know, yeah. uh, just way up in the air is pretty cool. Pretty well, cool. Once I, I think wind down. is one of those things that, that forces people to misjudge deer more often than not, because yeah. whether they're, I mean, my biggest buck that we're talking about, he's got a 25 inch outside spread. Yeah. 23 inch spread credit. And I, I, I believe it was right. 23, give or take a half an inch, but you know, it's one of those things that I mean, Hey, back in our grandpa's days, they would have passed that deer going. Yeah. He's not 30 inches wide yeah. because it was, it was based completely on spread. And yeah. And, and then you get, you get some of those wide deer that just don't have the frame and forks to go along with it and really drive that score up. So it's one of those things that, I, it, it's the last thing I look at when I'm considering when I'm kind of trying to rough judge a buck is, is the score is that spread because it's, it's easy to miscalculate it based because, you know, those ear widths can vary so much and it's just easy to miscalculate that dimension. So I, I, I don't put a lot of stock in it, but. Right. Well, and you talk about, you know, trying to, trying to judge that width based on ear credit, like, Danny, the buck that you killed, you had you had history with that deer for three or four years. I'm talking about the one back in 2010? Yeah. The big one? Yeah. The big one. And yeah. you had shared a picture with me as he came out of Velvet to mm-hmm. get my guess on him. Mm-hmm. And I judged him at 210, 212. Mm-hmm. I, I, remember the, I remember the text message. Mm-hmm. And you and I misjudged him by almost 20 inches because we oh. were basing it off of a 24-inch ear tip to ear tip, and he was 28. Well, the, like you're talking about, like it, their heads are different sizes a lot of times, and especially mm-hmm. regionally. Yep. So yes. a lot of the Eastern Plains bucks that I chase have huge horse heads mm-hmm. and uh, much bigger than say some of the bucks that I've chased over, you know, in the Gunnison Basin, for instance, their heads just aren't the same size. You know, they're the width of, from uh, ear tip to ear tip is not as wide. And you're exactly right. We grossly underestimated what that buck ended up coming out. To wait, be. wait, 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 wait. So, so you guys thought he was 210 to 212. And I thought, I thought he was estimated him. I thought he was 20 uh, inches. Yeah, under uh, I thought he was wow. probably two hundred five. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and he he can't, he grows two twenty six. Holy cow! See, and, yeah. and the funny thing is, those the head size is what I, I think the head size determines the ear width better more than anything else. It's yeah, not, and and I mean I've got deer on my wall, and the funny thing is, some guy a couple of years ago was critiquing my taxidermist. Mm-hmm. Uh, by based on the the mounts I have on my wall, and he goes, "Well, the ears are all the same." And I said, "Okay, yes, they are," and that's because I ask him to put them all the same, so I can measure the ear spread on those things to add one more bit of information that I have to my arsenal right, for judging right. deer. And I've got deer that the that spread varies widely. It's oh, yeah. crazy how much it does. Yeah, and, it's funny we're talking about field judging muleys and i i gotta tell you i am i'm absolutely a frame guy like it not necessarily just width but total frame and i'd love the iconic you know classic box box 
look of a, of a mule deer. I, you know, and for instance, when I killed that tall, narrow one, that one outscored the one that Lane killed that same year. Yeah. But standing side by side, I shoot Lane's every single time, you know, and I, mine outscored him by like 10 inches. Um, and I, I, every single time I'm going to shoot, I'm going to shoot that buck. And I, I guess I really was forced to really get into getting better at field judging and trying to guess score on muleys because of guiding every now and again, because yeah, it, when it, when, when all of a sudden you're a guide and you've got a client that is after a buck that, you know, he wants one, at least 170 inches, for instance, you need to get really good at, at adding up what it takes to get to 100, 170 inches. Yeah. But when I'm personally what 170 hunting, inch buck looks like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I'm personally, when I'm hunting for myself, I don't care at all, man. I just care, you know, and, and this is the way that I hope most people are. I, I, I just look for one that makes me happy. You know what I mean? If it and gets your heart rate elevated, exactly. that's what I'm looking for. That's, yeah. I want that one that, so, so for example, the, the two deer, my son and I shot this year, um, they score within like, I mean, they grossed within like two and a half inches of each other, but Kyle's is 30 inches wide, right on the dot with nice deep forks, you know, it grossed 180 inches. That's a heck of a deer. Oh, I'll yeah. tell you what, standing side by side, I'm shooting his deer every time, much like you and uh, like yours and Lane's. I mean, mine had mass and a couple cheaters, but man, standing side by side, give me that big wide buck, man. That's a, that's, that's one for the wall. That's going to look mm. terrific on the wall here in a couple months. Yeah. And, no. uh, I can, I completely agree. And Evan shot one a couple of years ago in Kansas that, you know, I don't know what's wrong with Evan and his photography skills, but the photo that he took of that thing <laughs> did not do it justice. Like I, I went into our, we use the same taxidermist and I went in there one day and I was like, whose buck is that? And he said, that's Evan Williams. And I said, no, it's not. No, it's not. And Sure I've seen enough, that buck. <laughs> it, oh, man, I'm conservative in my images. Yes, ah. you definitely were that time because it didn't. It, it, I did not realize what you had on the ground right there till I saw him in person. And, he, and, and truthfully, and truthfully too, on that buck, I didn't know what I had on the ground. Um, I went in there looking for a different deer. Uh, the buck I was after ended up being a three by four. Had a couple cheaters on him. I saw him at 18 yards at one point with my brother a couple days later, and I put him about 185, 188, so right in where mine actually scores. And on the way into that deer, was going down a limestone ravine cut and just happened to look over, and this buck was bedded right there. And I assumed where he was at, and when, when I saw him, he saw me. He did the whole, I got a doe bedded down, and he just hunkered right down to the ground. And I'm like, oh, he's not going to go anywhere. There's a doe and she's hot and he's pulled her away from this group of 23 that I was looking at. And so I sat there in pasture grass that is no taller than two inches and not even over the boot I was wearing, mm -hmm. just staring at him, trying to get a look at him. And the way, the way his left front flared with a cheater, it looked like he was a big three on his left with a cheater split brow tines on both sides and then his right back was so thick 
and the way he was looking at me, it looked like just a huge, massive blade. So I'm looking at a, you know, 26 to 28 inch wide three by three with a cheater split brow tines, decent mass, 36 and a half yards. First day I'd left my truck 10 minutes before, you know what gift horse It's 160, 165 inch buck set the site, took the shot. He jumps up, runs out of that ravine. Didn't have a doe with him falls over and I go walking up. I'm like, Oh, he's a, he's a four by four with a hook. And okay, he's probably 170, 175. And my buddy coach shows up and he goes, Do you know what you just killed? I'm like, That's a good buck. You know, it's a 170, 175 inch deer. He goes, I don't think you realize what you have. And we started taping him. He's 30 and a quarter. And he went 185 and some change as a typical with oh, almost, almost eight inch pedestals. He's beast. Wow. He's beast. So, He's got really, awesome. really good mass, really, really cool frame. But once again, those are those, you know, Horse Western heads. Kansas bucks oh. and they are, they're deceiving. They're deceiving, you know, their doggone bodies, necks and heads are so big that it makes that right. It's like a Saskatchewan white tail. His, you know? his mount looks like a cone head in front. There's so much forehead to him <laughs> compared to everything else I have. <laughs> That's really cool. You know, and it's always a, a pleasant surprise when you walk up and the buck dwarfs the number you thought he was going to score. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's yeah. always neat. Yeah. Doesn't happen very often. Doesn't seem it like doesn't. Anyway. <laughs> well, Henry, I want to I talk about um, the Colorado Bow Hunters Association and uh, not, not just specifically about it, but the importance of people being uh, involved or joining their state bow hunting organization. Um, so here in Colorado, you know, part of what motivated me to get involved with my state bow hunting organization is the fact that we're yeah. right now, we have a governor um, who is not very like-minded He's not a fan of hunting. Uh, he'll, he'll stand there and say that he is. However, his actions say otherwise. Um, and the person in charge of appointing our uh, commissioners, our wildlife commissioners in this state, is the governor. And in our particular situation, um, the governor's partner is a uh, uh, is a animal rights activist and makes no secrets about it and we see it on social media and we find out that uh this governor's partner uh is in a roundabout way vetting our wildlife commissioners right now and we are faced with a situation right now where uh, we've got an 11 person commission and what do we have we have three people that hunt on it. We have the wife of an outfitter and we have a, uh, one big game hunter and, and, a and hunter. A, a upland game bird hunter yeah. and the rest of the 11 person commission that makes all the decisions about our hunting in this state are non hunters or, you know, a couple of them, I guess have since becoming commissioners have gone on uh, little trips to see what it's all about. 
you know what I mean? Um, however, they were not hunters coming in. And when I found this out a couple of years ago and really started following it, it scared me to death. And so here recently, we've had a couple of uh, um, proposals that have come to us here in the state of Colorado um, that the CBA was instrumental in trying to uh, uh, keep these things from happening. Walk us through a couple of those success stories, Henry. And what I want everyone to keep in mind is that, yes, we're using Colorado as an example right here, Mm -hmm. but this same thing is going on in states all across the country. Um, That's a fact. (laughs) And in order for us to preserve um, the, uh, uh, the, the privileges that we have had and that so many people fought so hard to get for us in the first place. Okay. Um, in order for us to preserve those so that our kids enjoy the same things that we do, we have to have united voices in all of these States. And if we don't have a sizable United voice, uh, the mainstream is going away from our way of life, the way that most of us that as, as hardcore bow hunters grew up. So let's, let's talk about a couple of the recent success stories here in, here in Colorado, Henry. And so Danny, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we don't have a, a great representation of hunters on that board. I mean, there's no, no secret about that. Um, however, we, we've been pretty pleased with how, willing they are to work with us and see our opinions and, and value those opinions and value the surveys that we do of our membership. So we, while we don't necessarily have a lot of hunters on the board, we do have, or on the commission, we do have people who are willing to work with us. And that at this time, Hey, that's, we can work with that, but we've worked hard to build those relationships. But one of the things that, uh, I think the thing that got us really talking earlier this year or late last year was about this orange and archery season. Mm-hmm. So Colorado has something kind of unique in that we have a nine day period. So we have, we have essentially our early archery season, which is for deer and elk is 28 days long. And that 28 day season has a nine day period in the middle of it. That's the muzzleloader season. So it's muzzleloader and archery hunters in the field at the same time. Now, that season has overlapped since the mid-80s and has not, been an, has not been a problem. Now, unfortunately, over the last five years, we've had two different bow hunters who were shot and killed by muzzleloader hunters. So there was a, uh, there was a proposal that all um, arch- everybody who's hunting during that period of time would need to be wearing blaze orange for the safety of everybody in the woods. Now, Unfortunately, I think there's a little bit of recency bias in that, in that, you know, since it happened in the two in the last five years, people are looking at that as, hey, we've had two in the last five years, but we're not looking at that as we've had two in the last 35 years. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, it's a very different number if you look at it, you know, extrapolated over the whole period. But we were, uh, we were told that this was done. This was going to happen. CPW staff had recommended it. And when CPW staff makes a recommendation, they uh, send that on to the commissioners. And once that's done, it's basically rubber stamped and passed through. 
So we took a uh, we took a pretty hard approach to this because, I mean, look, a bow hunt makes hard. <laughs> There's no, I, I I know that's probably the first time you've ever heard that, uh, <laughs> or maybe it's just hard for me. But spot and stock hunting is not easy, and getting in close to these animals is difficult. I mean, it takes a, a lot of stealth. It takes a lot of. I've always told my son that. You know, there's like a thousand things that have to go right to get a shot with your bow. Sure. And I mean, you know, with a rifle, there's maybe a hundred things that have to go right to be able to get that shot. But, um, well, the, so, the, the, the fact of the matter is a bow hunt typically, at least in the West, a bow hunt typically starts at the moment that the, that a rifle hunt ends. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. I mean, if you see that buck at 400 yards, now is when I start my stock. Well, my son yeah. can just lay down, extend the bipod, dial his turret and drop him with a seven mag. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a, that's, a, it's different ways of going about the same end result. But, um, so we, we went to, we went to battle on this because we felt very strongly that this was not a just cause for them to take up. And it wasn't something that we needed to have happen to our archery hunts. So what we did is we actually engaged a lot of friends of ours on social media and had a very, uh, we had one picture and one text box and we asked that everybody post that. And when they did, we went from, uh, and, and basically what it did is it prompted people to go to our website and take a five question survey that had taken two minutes to complete. So the beauty of this is we had 11,000 people complete that survey in 48 hours, which uh, the, the people who have responded, a lot of people in the know are like, how in the world did you get 11,000 sportsmen to stand up and take, you know, get active in that short period of time? And I, I what I kept on our board is if we're in, in, engaged in a righteous and worthy cause, we should expect victory. And I, I truly felt we were. And so we, we went to battle with this and we got these uh, 11,000 surveys filled out. And the, the survey responses were overwhelmingly against us wearing blaze orange. And when I say overwhelmingly, 94 plus percent uh, were against wearing blaze orange. And then over 70 percent said they would consider hunting a different state if this was implemented. So the cool thing is we went uh, from having no chance and being it, you know, strongly suggested that we take a, uh, an approach of going in there and compromising and saying, Hey, what about just orange hats? You know, uh, we went in from having a, no chance to win to us winning at 11 to zero. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. That was a, that was a big win for us. We felt great about that. Um, and then literally 75 minutes later, a bill was introduced to the Capitol to, uh, to ban mountain lion and bobcat hunting. So like, oh my gosh, great. So yeah. we got involved with a big coalition of other sportsmen and, uh, recreational, uh, you know, sportsmen and conservation groups within the state. And we, we were able to shoot that one down, um, I mean, there was another one that was, uh, there was a proposal to put mountain bike trails under every mile of power lines in the entire state of Colorado, which 
as we know, those clear cuts are major wildlife corridors. So that was something we're able to sign on and get that one shot down. Um, And then just last week, we had what could down the road be one of our biggest victories. And that is um, there's going to be a bill signed by the governor um, allowing hunters education to be taught in seventh grade and higher in Colorado schools going forward. So this is one that we had such a big influence and big hand in that, that our, our legislative liaison, Wes, uh, Wes Mendez, actually had his sons there to testify on this three different times at the Capitol. <laughs> so they're going to be there when this gets signed into, uh, when this bill gets signed by the governor. So that's a, a pretty cool win. Um, and then another one that we did at the same time as the Blaze Orange, we had uh, submitted a citizen's petition to eliminate the 80% max let off that our state has had for years. Um, Evan, I don't need to tell you, <laughs> looking at a bow manufacturer, that 80% is no longer the industry standard. 85 is most definitely the industry standard right now. And while your new cams make it real easy to go in between 80 and 85%, not everybody's do. And even more importantly, um, there's bows that there's guys that have no idea what their let off is on some of the other binary cam systems that are out there. Yeah. With just a sliding module. Most guys just truly don't know what their let off is. And, you know, there's been a number of things that the CBA has been instrumental in helping update. You know, when I was still in Colorado working in a pro shop, um, you know, at the time there was no lighted knocks, no electronic yep. recording devices. Um, at one point while I was still there, there was a 65 or a 75%. 65. So, so like it has, even in the last 10 years, really, really been an impact from the CBA in especially Colorado state regulations. Um, and again, some of that has progressed with what Pope and Young has allowed yeah. as record keeping um, in the books. But, you know, number of times guys coming from out of state are, you know, where am I hunting? What is the definition of archery equipment? And they're not looking at some of the potential fine print. You know, we were, we exactly were in a position right. with where our shop was at in Colorado that, you know, we had guys from Oklahoma and Texas and New Mexico and um, Kansas and Nebraska. Like we were a filter for a lot of those, um, guys coming through to go hunting with an indoor shop and, a and an indoor range, they're coming in to sight their bows in and do some quick check-in and they're going to stop and, you know, get some equipment stuff and they're shooting on the range. It's like, Hey, you guys do realize that that light on your site is illegal in this state. And so are your lighted <laughs> knocks, right? Yeah. What? Yeah. So absolutely. And, and, and the funny thing is there's in my mind, there's crimes of commission and there's crimes of omission. Mm-hmm. And at, at the end of the day, a judge is going to look at it. And I mean, it's a crime one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And just because you're oblivious to the rule does not make the rule any less impactful. And so so what we did is we we actually submitted a citizen's petition to raise that max let off to 85 percent. And CPW staff took that recommendation and then modified it and said, I think we should just eliminate it. 
And so our, 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 and the reason they wanted to do that, it's very simple. It was going to make it a lot easier on the enforcement side. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, let's face it. There's a lot of bows that are extremely difficult to be able to calculate oh, yeah. the, the let off on them. And so this was, you know, from a, a PR standpoint on their side, Hey, that's less negative interactions they have to have with their customer base. <laughs> At first, I kind of thought that, um, that was a ridiculous out of the CPW that it was just being lazy or something. But the more I got to thinking about it, the more I was like, okay, that's going to require them to have a scale out in, uh, in the field. Mm-hmm. And can yeah. you imagine being out there and having a game warden come up and say, I need to draw your bow. And then by God, you know, something crazy happens and he accidentally dry fires it or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. you're on a, yeah, you, you're a non-resident okay. from, you know, Pennsylvania or something out here in the middle of your mule deer hunt. And this guy tries to check your bow. Wait, Just blew your you bow up. Yeah, yeah. blew your <laughs> bow up, you know. And I was like, okay, maybe that makes a little bit more sense than I thought it did originally. Yeah, and we and our, you know, our feelings on and our comments that we returned back to the commissioners were, look, we're fine with no max let off as long as it does not include, um, as long as there's some language in there. Uh, regarding this applying only to hand-drawn and hand-held uh, bows. Bows, yeah. In, in other words, you know, no draw, you use crossbow, no crossbows. Yeah. yeah, if you want to use a crossbow, they're perfectly legal in rifle season, but they are not legal in archery season. That's that's how we intend to keep it. Right, right. Well, and, you know, you mentioned earlier that we've uh, – that we've been fortunate to have commissioners that listen to us. And, and you're exactly right that we, we are fortunate. These people are trying to do their best. However, part of the reason that they're listening to us is because we have a strong and active association. And we can put the numbers of their, you know, large numbers of their customers, basically, and their opinions and feelings in front of them. If we did not have that, what basis would they have to make judgments on? Because they aren't outdoorsmen themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I'm make saying? It largely on opinions and yeah. and beliefs. And I mean, we 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 have the ability to come in and be the voice, kind of be the expert voice in the room for archers. And that's what that's always been our goal. I mean, since 1969, when the CBA was founded, that's been the goal is to have a strong centralized voice for bow hunters to be advocates for seasons, to be advocates for opportunities and to help, you know, and, and Evan mentioned a great one, lighted knocks were absolutely illegal here for a long, long time. Yeah. And 2020, I, I see, 2015 was the first legal yeah. allowable season in the state of Colorado for a lighted knock. Yep. 2015. Yep. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what, we're not the uh, we're not the slowest to respond. <laughs> Idaho just legalized them this year. So, yeah. I mean, it's great because and I think once this kind of spider webs out, and I, I, I believe with us removing our max let off, I think there's only two states left in the country mm. that do have a max let off restriction now. Uh, um, if I'm not mistaken. And I believe Montana. Is it Montana? Yeah, because yeah, because Idaho got rid of it, and it was Idaho, Montana, Colorado, and Nevada. So, I think so. Yeah. Yep. So, and and the funny thing is, I mean, hey, if you guys made a seventy-five percent slot on that on that cam, if you had three different stops, 
I'd shoot that sucker in a minute. You know I would. <laughs> and, 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 and Henry, you and I are exactly alike because I like a more aggressive cam. I want more holding weight. I can really pull. Yep. I have an aggressive shot. But again, it gives people that option. A exactly. guy who is used to being in a situation where he has a bull or a buck hang up and he's already at full draw and he has to hold and hold and hold. Okay, He's had one experience. I've had another. Again, it goes back to that customization part. What are you comfortable with? I've been known in the past to uh, perhaps go a little thicker on those cable servings, you know, just to just to decrease that let off a little bit. And, you know, last year on the RX-5 Ultra, I did not. I mean, because that bow, man, for one reason or another, I, that thing was like, it was like an old friend. The first time I shot it, I was, I was just so impressed. There's some and, those HBX cams, I'm telling you. Oh, so, so magic. smooth and... I mean, not to turn it into a commercial or anything, but, um, you know, they, it, it is, it's just a very smooth cam. And I mean, I've got a, a bit of a bad shoulder and that is just not an issue with that bow at all. Yep. But, you know, I, I do want to thank you guys at Hoyt too, because when, when we were discussing this max let off issue, I, I talked to the area rep here, uh, Preston Edwards, who's, I've known Preston for a really long time like since 2001, 2002. Um, and I mean, he's a great guy. And he, he's obviously he stood decaying a bit from, from us removing that max let off with the, with the new cams coming in standard at 85. But it, it really was great because we got a lot of really great um, cooperation from archery manufacturers when we started talking to them and saying, Hey, would this be beneficial? Is this something we should pursue? Mm -hmm. And I mean, Preston's like, absolutely. Not only should you, you should then talk to this guy in the, uh, in, in, in this department and talk to this guy in this department and they'll get you all the information you need to, uh, yeah. to go in with a, with a good argument. And, and, you know, the, the fact is, I, I think the, the concern was, there's no end to it. Well, what's going to happen with those, you know, get to 95% let off. Well, I mean, I'm not an engineer, but I do know that they do need to store that energy somewhere. And that stored energy has to come from someplace in the camp. So there has to be at least some, you know, you're, you're kind of reaching a point of diminishing returns there. So. And, yeah. And then you also kind of start to raise the question of, if you allow this to go through, what's next? Like, what are they going to try to take next? You know, here in the state of Utah, we just lost trail cameras after a certain date. Yeah. At least it wasn't for good. Um, but that started out as just a, maybe we get rid of cell phone cameras and literally got just the blanket camera. It's spider and, webs, and, man. And, and it's spider and, webs. And now they're talking <laughs> about slider sights on top of it. And the really? ability to reach out farther, the slider sites were mentioned during the during the commission meeting. I'm making um, note to myself so to cash in those uh, Utah you get points, your points quickly, there, right? <laughs> so, but, and and Henry, that leads right into you know this next point. We are using Colorado as this base. Okay, um, I've lived in Colorado. It's where I met you shooting 3ds mm -hmm. danny you lived out right down the street from me um we all came from that same circle but this just doesn't apply to colorado sportsmen think no. about the out-of-staters coming in okay so 
we're using Colorado and we're citing everything that Colorado is doing, but this can apply to any state that we are physically hunting. I live in Utah right now, but I'm hunting Montana, Utah, Colorado, Kansas, Nebraska. I hunted Alabama this year. I don't need to just focus on the state that Man, I live in. must be nice. My but, gosh. <laughs> every once in a while. But, yeah. but it's being involved at some level with the state organization of where you're hunting at. Well, every state faces their own unique set of challenges. Yeah. And so it's, it's really, this is, this is exactly why these state bow hunting organizations who have a, an on the boots on the ground vested interest in making these things right are so freaking important right now. So, and I mean, I got to a point years ago where my wife and my, my entrance onto the CBA board is a little inauspicious. And then my wife said, uh, she years ago, she goes, you know, you can either continue to complain about this or get involved. Yeah. And so I, I, I just went to a meeting. I went to a meeting and I sat in there and I, and even though there was less discussion of bow hunting and bow hunting stories told than I cared for, um, I saw that this was a lot of men who really genuinely cared yeah. and they were doing the right thing. They were trying to do the right things, you know? And I mean, we all are, that's to the, to the best of our knowledge and abilities. And it's, it's so important because that each individual state, like I said, has their own, has their own burdens and has their own challenges. So, so you said that in a 48 hour period on the orange issue, you had gotten 11,000 responses and of that over 70%, again, I don't know if it was 75, 76, whatever it was, but over 70% of sportsmen that took that survey said they would hunt another state if this was implemented. Well, if, so, if, if they were forced to wear blaze orange during the archery season. Right. Yep. That's so, that was the exactly. way the question was phrased. Yeah. So, exactly. Exactly. Here is my question that goes back to supporting not only your state organization, but the state organization of those states that you hunt in. Of those 11,000 surveys, how many were non-residents? We had a pretty solid split. It was about 50-50. Um, it was a little heavier to non-residents. But I, I mean, really, our OTC elk numbers bear that out as well. I mean, we had more non-resident OTC archery elk hunters last year than we did residents, which is pretty crazy to think about. Um, but Colorado's the land of opportunity. You can go to Walmart and buy a tag for crying out loud. It's it's not hard. Um, and and that was one of the remarks I made at the uh, at our at our banquet a few weeks ago was we have I, I gave everybody two numbers and I said the numbers are fifty four thousand and sixteen hundred and thirty two so fifty four thousand was the total number of archery elk tags that the state of Colorado sold in twenty twenty sixteen hundred thirty two is the total number of CBA members we had right. Obviously, we need to get, you know, the closer we can get that 1632 to the 54,000, the better off everybody is. Because if there's one lesson we learn in, um, in that orange debate, it's that numbers matter. And the yeah. number of voices that, you know, it, it, the more 
the more people filled out that survey, it amplified our voice and it amplified our message. And that made it so much more powerful and impactful to the, uh, to the commissioners. Yep. And this is why we've, we've gotten this uh, coalition involved in, in Colorado as well, that, you know, we've, we've got over 30 different sportsmen's organizations. So we take our 1600, our MEF takes their, I don't know where they have 30,000, um, you know, SCI takes theirs, BHA takes theirs, all these different organizations, Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Project puts theirs in. It gives us a much more impactful voice. Then when we go into the commissioners or to the legislators and say, hey, we've got not only, you know, this organization, but we speak on behalf of all of these people. This is, you know, a couple hundred thousand Coloradans that we represent. Right. Now we have a stronger voice. And again, this is this is true at every state and every level is just amplifying that voice. And the best way to do that is to join and get involved. Is to join. Well, to, you know, in a perfect world, Evan would be a member of each one of those state bow hunting organizations that he just that he just laid out. If you bow hunt there consistently, you yeah. ought to, if, if it's, if you're in a position to be able to do so, and odds are, if you travel to go hunt that state consistently, you're in a position to where you could, mm -hmm. you should at a minimum be a member of that state bow hunting organization. Um, and I guess our, our real message here is that if you love bow hunting and you're a serious bow hunter, you absolutely need to be a member of your own state bow hunting organization at a at a minimum you need to be a member that membership and the dues that you pay once a year which is usually you know what i don't know what they average you know they like kind 35 of bucks or something 30 to 40 bucks a year yeah right yeah. that it, it, explain them the importance of having that membership i mean it's your funding it's your it's your funding to be able to act it's a huge portion of our funding as an organization is, is the membership dues. Um, you know, we have a couple other events a year that we do like our big banquet that we just had. And then we also have a jamboree up in the mountains every year, which is just a big gathering of bow hunters and a big 3d shoot. It's just a fun shoot and a great family or outing, but really what we have is the membership. That's it. That's our, that's, and uh, I can I can speak on behalf of literally every organization, country, you know, nationally that 2020 sucked. It was brutal. We lost both of our fundraisers. So all we had was our membership right. and uh, a huge percentage of people renew their memberships at those two events. So we, we lost not only did we lose those two big fundraising opportunities, we lost a, a big percentage of our membership that year as well. So 2021, we came at it aggressively, uh, did a bunch of giveaways with a lot of local manufacturers from Kafaru and Hamski, Iron Will Broadheads, Davis Tent. I mean, we we had a lot of people who backed us and supported us in this in this venture to to you know get those numbers up and again just help us get the funds back in the bank. Cause I can tell you a lot of, a lot of these organizations just about went belly up. Unfortunately, we've had very intelligent people running this organization for years before I did. 
and they've uh, they've invested money and they had some money stuck away that we had to dip into that to survive 2020. Just right. the bottom line. Right. Well, which is crazy because we had more people in the field during 2020 than we have. Oh, man. And yeah. <laughs> that COVID year, you had people rushing out. I think that they went to Walmart and saw empty shelves and no meat and people who had not hunted for 20 years or had never hunted before in their life suddenly had yes, an interest sir. in hunting because just about every serious hunter that they knew had a freezer full of meat. Yep. And the, the same could, thing could happen down the line, but it was an, it was an anomaly in a way that we had that many people hitting the woods, but it's kind of sad that we lost membership at that same time. And that might've been, um, because we didn't have the events and all of the states cross country, no one it had is. the events and things like that to generate interest and people just kind of forget. And I guess that's our biggest message today is you can't forget. You can't forget mainstream culture and media, I dare say, are not in our court any longer. They, no. it, they do not understand us. Um, they, a lot of times they ha have a real interest in, replacing us and basically do not understand the uh, uh, the relationship between hunting and conservation. And they can't understand the basic premise of, you know, uh, that in their minds, I should say, anyone who is shooting these animals has no interest in conserving these animals. They don't understand that role. It's, it's an oxymoron to them. And if we don't have voices if we don't have, uh, if we don't come together and and basically sound out as a group in each of these different states when these things come up, we will lose. That's the reality. Yeah. That is the reality. And I'm, you know, I, I'm I'm incredibly lucky in that we have some, we have nothing but really capable people on our board of directors that that make me look good. I mean, we've got people uh, who are just working their butts off behind the scenes. And, and that's the thing. Every state has an organization like this. And if Everyone. yours is not real active, please get involved. Help them out. I mean, chances are they're just lacking the manpower to make these things happen. Right. And like, like we were saying, at a minimum, join your state organization. Yep. If, you, if you can, if you're in a position to do it, get involved. Attend a meeting. See what you're, you get familiar with the issues that your state is facing, um, because these things, all of these seasons that we enjoy across the country were, they were hard earned. We outdoorsmen had to, and bow hunters specifically had to fight for them and they won't, they won't last in the society that we're in right now. If we don't get involved, um, I was teasing at the beginning of this saying that Henry conned me into this, but I was in the same boat. I was sitting here and complaining and complaining and complaining. And suddenly one day realized, you know, you, you need to get involved instead of just sitting there and complaining uh, to the best of, uh, of your ability. Um, and that's what we would encourage everyone to do. You know, um, it, number one, look up your state bow hunting organization, join it, and then Find out whether there's a there's something that you can do to help. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's more important now uh, than it 
than it ever has been. And I know that this one kind of seems like a, a preachy podcast, guys. Well, <laughs> it is. It is. Um, John Gardner, when he got up at the Colorado Bowhunter Association banquet and said uh, his he owns a ta taxidermy shop in Southwest Colorado. John's a great guy. And he has a, uh, a little display up for the Colorado Bowhunter Association. And whenever people look at that, he says, yeah, do you, uh, do you bow hunt in Colorado? And, you know, inevitably most of their, most of them answer yes. And he's the first thing he says is, are you a member of the Colorado Bowhunter Association? And if they say no, he says, shame on you. Well, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm passing out to everybody. If you're a Utah bow hunter, if you're an Arizona bow hunter, if you're a Pennsylvania bow hunter, if you aren't a member of your state organization, shame on you. Cause in today's day and age, you need to be 110%. It's not a question. It's not, there's, there's no debating it. You need to be. <clears throat> so, well, Mule deer discussion was a lot funner than this one, but <laughs> I never thought I'd be involved in a preachy podcast. It's just not my nature, but look at that. <laughs> we just did it. So, <laughs> yeah, I understand. I understand. Well, um, we appreciate you coming on here today, Henry. And uh, I appreciate and you giving us the platform. I, I commend you yeah. for everything that you've been doing. I know that you make a lot of sacrifices personally and uh, your entire family does. Uh, in order for you to be involved at the level uh, that you are. And thank goodness we've got guys like you. Um, and me and Evan here are going to try and do a better job because as much as I'm preaching, I don't do everything that I was uh, just preaching that everybody should try and do. So uh, I'm going to try and do a better job of that as well. So you got anything to add, buddy, before we go? Uh, just make sure Henry practices on those Wolverine 3D targets. Oh my gosh, <laughs> guys! There's a there's a story behind that, and and this is Evan and I could both tell you the same story, but much like the Choose Your Adventure books that we all read as a kid, the end of that story is hotly contested between the two of us because because mine is right. I'm absolutely <laughs> certain. I beat him in that shoot off. I no. just know it. I know I, it for a fact. I, I tubed that Wolverine in the chest and you just went, well, crap. Man, I, I, it's just <laughs> very unlikely, Evan. So unlikely. <laughs> At one point, we might have to get uh, Phil Mendoza involved and see if he has any archives for results from these shoots. I would be curious. And, and if it comes out that you're right and I'm wrong, I will burn that paper. Perfect. <laughs> no more evidence. <laughs> so, well, Whoa. thanks for having me on, guys. Always good to chat with you guys. No, we appreciate your time, Henry. No sweat. Hope everybody enjoyed it, and we'll see you in the next one.